Well, praise the Lord. Praise, praise the, Lord. the Lord. Good morning to everybody. This beautiful, beautiful morning this morning. And I know we all could be doing other other things, maybe preparing our lawns for the for the winter and all the things we do in the, in the um, fall, or maybe going fishing or whatever people in Mississippi do. But thank God we're all here together, and hopefully we're we're learning and we're encouraging one another. And I love that message last night from Brother Brother Batson. What a great job he did! What an encouraging word. And um, appreciate him. Appreciate him so much. Appreciate Brother um, Vasquez and the folks, his wife, with all the food and the team that that did all that. We thank God for that. Give them give them honor and appreciation for that. And I love my team. We've been working together now for um, seven years. This, we're in our seventh seventh year working working together. And you know, you work with people that that are your friends, and it makes the work of the Lord even just that much more pleasant. You know, as you grow grow in friendship and grow in the Lord together, I feel like I've grown as a person with the time that I've gotten to spend spend with them. And um, so we're talking about, yesterday we were talking about discipleship and discipling and so forth, and I kind of kind of ended it in, in talking about the importance of not, yes, we have to focus on what we're doing with the new disciple, with the, the new convert, however you term them. Uh, it's important what we do with them, but we, we ended up with talking about it's also important what, what the environment we're putting them in. Is it, a, is it a growth environment? Is it a healthy and encouraging environment? So everybody get one of the handouts we're going to be talking about this morning, analyzing church culture. Did everybody get a handout? If there's an extra one at your table and somebody didn't get one, could you please pass that around? Is there any sitting around? Hopefully we, we had enough printed. All right. Now, in just touching on the discipling process again, um, just, I like to try to keep things simple. You know, when we're, when we're trying to train teams and teach people and produce concepts and develop a culture, we've got to keep things simple. We, know all, we all know the old acronym used KISS, you know, that sort of thing. Keep it simple, uh, supercilious, whatever you want to plug in as that last word. But, uh, but I like to keep things simple. So I use the word ACE, A-C-E. It's an acrostic, A or an acronym, A-C-E. And, and think of our, our, our process, our, our total process, if we want to distill it down very, very simply, our process is ACE, attracting, connecting, equipping. So everything that we do in the way of departments and ministries should be looked at through that lens. It, is, is this an area that we're using to attract people? Is it an area we're using to connect people? When I say connect, that's kind of a two-edged two uh, sword there because we need to connect them with people, right, in relationship like we talked about, but also connecting them with doctrine, connecting them with the Lord, connecting them in their relationship with God, and then, then moving on to equipping them because our ultimate goal is we're called to... Uh, make disciples, right? And so we want them to be fully functional and um, uh, disciples and so forth. Another quick, I'll give you another quick uh, mental image here. If you can, it's easy enough for all of us to picture a ball diamond, right? Baseball diamond. And so picture 
Now, I was talking to Brother Traxler the other day in our podcast, a little podcast we did, but I always used to, I had the diagram of a baseball diamond, and I had the labels on each one of the bases. But if you picture in your mind a baseball diamond, so home plate is somebody is just now ready to start playing the game. When they're baptized, they get the Holy Ghost. They just enter the ball field, so to speak. It's not, they're, it's not the end game. They just, they just begin to play the game. So they're at home plate. And so first base, you could picture getting to first base is a good Bible study that does two things. It teaches doctrine, establishes them in the Word, and whoever's teaching that Bible study is going to begin to build a connection, a relationship, right? So now they're at first base. Now we want them to get to second base. Picture second base as them on their way to second base. They're now completing a good secondary course, which would be a discipleship course, doing a good disciple, discipleship course, all right? The, thing, the difference between a discipleship course and like a good home Bible study is in a discipleship course, not only are you reinforcing, in a good one, not only does it reinforce doctrinal things, but in a deeper way, but it also begins to talk about different practical issues of living and overcoming life, prayer life and, you know, beginning to holiness and a good uh, uh, separation in a, in a good discipleship course and all those are finances. We talk about finances in our discipleship course. And so, Brother, uh, Brother Vickers, we, we talk about that. And, um, and so there you are. You, now you've got them on second base. And so from that point, then you, you, you need them to get to third base. And so third base is you get them to a point now where you're, they, they, they're hopefully getting a burden. They're getting, they're getting into the momentum of your church. And so you want to get them involved in some ministry. And so now it becomes a ministry training issue. What area of ministry where are they going to serve where are they going to serve and getting them into that and they're on then they're uh, on their way to third base so to speak so third base is that ministry training and then of course coming home then after that then hopefully you've got a, a, a disciple that's well trained enough to be on their way right they're well trained enough to be on their way so just picturing even that way just simplifying the whole process there's no rocket science to it it's just a matter of staying with it keeping them on the path, and it's all a matter of motivating them to do it. Anyway, so I'm spending probably too much time on, on that because I'm going back to yesterday, but let's talk about analyzing your church culture because now here, here they're coming into the church and here's where they're now going to either assimilate to a healthy body or they're going to uh, uh, not, okay, not. And so culture, not vision or strategy, is the most powerful factor in any organization. So here's some relevant Webster dictionaries of, cult, of culture, a cultivation of the soil, development or improvement or refinement of the mind, emotions, interests, manners, taste, etc. Like if somebody likes opera or museums or artwork, we would say they're a cultured individual, they're, they're cultured. And what I'm reaching for really as far as culture, what we're talking about is this last one here, the ideas, customs, skills, arts, etc., of a given people in a specific period of time. Culture consists of shared beliefs and values established by leaders. Shared beliefs and values established by leaders and then communicated and reinforced through various methods which ultimately shape people's perceptions, behavior, and understanding. For example, somebody may ask, it's often 
done, and it could be anything from uh, you know somebody at, working with somebody in the kitchen to somebody working with anybody anywhere, and they say, why do you do that? Why, why do you do that? Or why do you do that that way? And see, those are all, those are all things, the answer, the answer should, not, should never be, it's just the way we do things around here. Right. right. Well, we, it's just the way we do things. So, but the answer to that equals our culture. We should be able to have an answer. Here's why we do this. Here's why we have a greeters team. Here's why we speak positive things to each other as leaders. Here's, here's why. A church's culture is the atmosphere in which it functions. Now, Greg uh, Groeschel, a great leadership writer, if you get anything by him, you're going to get good material. He says, the right culture does three things. The right culture does three things. It corrects wrong behavior. It weeds out wrong team members. See, when you've got a when you've got a good culture going on, and you've got different teams and departments and so forth, and um, you have systems in place and processes, when somebody doesn't fit in with that culture or is not doing things according to the system within that department or ministry, they stick out like a sore thumb. Okay. Right, right. So it weeds out wrong team members. And it empowers the right people toward the right results. That's what a good culture. So the culture of a church shapes, church shapes individual morale, teamwork, effectiveness, and outcomes. The right culture does a lot of things. It has a lot of impact. Organizational culture then, in essence, is the personality of the church. The personality of the church. Now, you know, I, I go to quite a few churches, not as many as some of you in here, but quite a few in my 47 years in, in the church. And, uh, and I, can, I can sense when I go from church to church, a different culture, I can sense the culture or the, the personality of that church. Churches have personalities, or we, we notice it in various businesses and so forth that we go in certain cultures, you can, you can, you can pick up on it. But tangible, uh, the, uh, Culture includes tangibles and intangibles. Tangibles, things that are seen, right? Intangibles are things that are, are there, but they're not seen. In, intangible. So the tangibles are easier to, to, uh, to identify. It's the way people dress, the way they behave, the general look of the place, the message of posters and signage. All pertains to our, to our culture understand that, and I'm not going to get off on a thing about talking about first impression, however I will just mention again as I re remind you, many of you are aware of this, that people make a first impression about a place in about the first eight to ten minutes they say. They make it, they, they, they begin to develop an impression about the place that they walk into in the first eight to ten minutes. And so, and so it is important that very first impression that you get coming into a place. We work on that a lot at FAC. That is something we have developed and work on, worked on a lot. Now, the intangibles are a little harder to grasp. The things that are seen are easier, but the intangibles are a little harder to grasp. These include values stated and unstated. Values, beliefs, what and how success is celebrated. 
how problems are addressed. <clears throat> Perceived trust and respect at all levels of the organization. And communication up and down the organizational structure. Now, you know, there are a lot of details that I'm going to talk about when I'm talking about culture. I have tried in all my study of culture and reading to distill it down to really key points. And even within this presentation, I'm going to focus on, I'm going to highlight when I talk about them, when I mention them, things that I think are some of the most important things about culture that we need to be aware of, okay? Really key points. And I just ran over two of them. One of them is that perceived trust and respect. Those are key. People, when they come into a place, they're looking, when they come into a church, people are looking for relief. Yeah. They need to come into a safe place, a place where they can trust people. And leadership groups need to be able to trust each other, respect each other, right? So trust and respect are absolutely paramount when we're talking about culture. And then the other thing that I kind of slid right over, that communication up and down the organizational structure. Yeah. Clear communication is key. Without com clear communication, we have confusion and uncertainty. That's the opposite of clear communication. Okay. Confusion and uncertainty in the absence of clear communication. Now, culture really is, even though there are other aspects to it, primarily culture is about people. It's about the people that work with us and that we're trying to move along in a discipleship process. How are people treated? How do they relate to one another? How do people respond to leadership? A strong, vibrant culture stimulates people to do their very best and reach their highest goals. And see, that's what draws people into wanting to become a better person, wanting to become better people. That's wanting to go through your discipleship process because that's what a, that's what a vibrant culture does. It draws people. It draws people. Trust, I'm going to mention it again, trust is the glue that holds the organization together and gives the strength it needs to excel. You see, as soon as we, you could be going along and everything could, can be fine. And how, how, just think about it. How many people have lost, you know, lost out with God? Now maybe they lost out for a time and came back, but some lost out totally. Because they're in a church and they're trusting the pastor, they're trusting the leadership, and some bizarre thing happens. The pastor or one of the leaders that they've looked to and trust we're in this together, we're on this team, we believe all this in the book, why? We believe it, and all of a sudden there's a major moral failure. You, you see what I'm saying? And I mean, then the trust is shot. How many people come to churches very wary, and when we talk to the new disciple, and they seem very skeptical and very wary, and kind of like walled in, and you get talking to them, they'll say, well, I just, it, 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 I, have, I have a difficult time, I just, I lost trust down the road. It's going to be a slow path for me to build my trust again. I, right. I, I have a, you know, you understand? Yeah. See, trust, trust is paramount. Trust. We've got to trust people. We've got to respect people. A healthy church culture 
inspires and stimulates all staff members to give their best because they're convinced that their ideas will be valued. When people feel that what they do doesn't matter, it is a demotivator. It's a demotivator. We've got to know and encourage people all up and down the scale that what they do matters. And what their and ideas that come, if you're in a on a team or in a department and you have meetings, we should never just very casually, you know, uh, you know, put off some idea as being foolish or impossible or why did you even suggest that or in, in, in any way make a person feel that their suggestion is foolish or silly or of no value. Yeah. Here's some examples of varied cultures, just to talk about the differences of how cultures can be so different. You can stay at any kind of a hotel. If you go to a Ritz-Carlton, you're going to notice a certain culture. There's a lot of training. There's a lot of things that have gone into developing the, the Ritz-Carlton culture, right? Or you can stay at a Motel 6. And luckily, Tom Bodette will leave the light on for you, but that's about the only amenity you may find there. And see, those are two cultural extremes right there. Those right. all pertain to culture when you go into those places. Think of Chick-fil-A versus any other fast food restaurant. The service you get at Chick-fil-A compared to any other, speaking generally, but any other fast food restaurant. Uh, you, you go to work for a McDonald's, and your first day they may say, that's a fryer, here's how you throw the fries in, and here's the bags you put them in. But you know, we've got a couple of managers for Chick-fil-A at FAC. And they go through some serious training because it's a whole cultural thing that they want them to be a part of, right? right? right. And, so, and so that training and their, the, the words they use and the way they teach people develops a, into a, a culture that you know you walk in that you're in Chick-fil-A, right? It's not Burger King. Yeah. Here's, here's another one, and I won't get too much into these. I, I love reading different business books and so forth, but in, in these pertain to culture, what we're going to be talking about, Apple versus Blackberry, okay? And there's a direct correlation here because Blackberry at one time was the industry standard for business telephones for phones. Right. Loved, I always loved their keyboard, the raised keys and all that. I used to love my Blackberry. They were the industry standard, but along comes Steve Jobs and a little company called Apple with an idea of an iPhone. And the engineers, this is all in business journals, the engineers at BlackBerry said, hey, we gotta take a look at this. We gotta take a look at this, you know. And they all, the Black, all Blackberry, Blackberry CEO and the chairman of the board and all the board, no man, we, we're, we're on top of the world. We don't need to worry about that little startup. We don't need to worry about that new technology. Close, that's, that's called a closed culture, closed, we'll talk about that, a closed system where they've arrived, they don't need any other ideas, don't come to me with that. We've been doing this for years, and this is the way we do it, we're fine, we're fine. And you, you, you know the story. You don't hear much about Blackberry anymore. Yeah. You should hear a lot about Apple. So organizational culture is like the air, it's all around us, shaping every moment of every day, but we seldom notice it. We don't think of going into a room and recognizing that the difference that we feel in different places pertains to culture. Visit a foreign country, you can quick, come quickly to understand the reality of differences in cultures. 
the way people view things, think things, communicate, their value system, and so forth. Culture determines how people respond to vision and leadership. Culture pertains to how people respond to vision and leadership. You've got, I'm going to talk about leadership in two, two different extremes. Pendulum over here, where you have a type of leader that basically they maybe have a distrust in people. They had maybe a saint burn them at some time or, 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 or whatever. And, and so they, they tightly want to control everything. Now, you know, I'm, I'm saying that because that is very much my personality that I've had to try to work with and overcome through the years when I work with different teams, even in my business, that sort of thing, because I'm that type A that I think I can do everything better. You understand? I'm being very transparent. That I'll just do this myself because I want it done right. That's my thinking, you know. And so it is sometimes difficult, or was, has been difficult for me to release something to somebody. Now, I know the value is important. you got to do it, right? And so I've learned to do it. But, but you know, that's, that's one kind where you want to micromanage everything. Micromanage. All right. But the, but the pendulum swings the other way. Pendulum swings the other way. But first of all, on that first type, let me say, when we do that, when we micromanage, people don't feel valued when they experience that close scrutiny. Because what we're saying is, obviously, we don't fully trust them. We're doubting their skills. We're doubting their abilities. You know, we need to watch over you. You know, and so there's that feeling. Of, it's, it's, it's a morale killer is what it is. It's a morale killer. See, but there's some leaders. There are some leaders, and this is kind of, kind of, Strains is kind of uh, uh, will really hinder hinder our growth. But there are some leaders that they fear anybody around them that can do something better than them. That's right. Mm. Right. You, you understand? Exactly. I mean, I'm gonna tell you. You know, I, I, if I'm on a team or I'm, I'm I'm pastoring a church, I would want the most skillful people in every area. If you do it better than me, man, that's why I need you. You know. Wow, go ahead, take off with it. Thank you. Thank you for your help. But if we view everybody like that, that they're going to take my church. You know, they want, they want to take this department, right? They, they want to be over this ministry. So i got to really watch them. I'm not going to give them too much to do. You know? So there's that extreme. Now the other, the pendulum swings the other way. And obviously we're, we're talking about having some balance and being in the middle. I'm talking the two extremes. The other extreme is the type of leader that is like totally hands off, yeah. totally hands off approach. They give you something to do, they give you some responsibility, and like you never hear from them. And so if you're like every other person in the world, when, when we don't get communication for what we're doing, if you're like every other person in the world, we don't automatically think, wow, pastor's not checking in with me because I'm doing wonderful, I'm doing a great job. My leader thinks I'm doing a great job, so but what we do think is, what am I doing wrong? He's not talking to me. He hasn't, he hasn't said anything. Why, why hasn't he said anything? See, that's what more we think. We think we're not doing something right. That's why we're not getting communication. And so there has to be, there has to be that feedback. That's how we train people. That's how feedback comes. Let them know when they're doing right. Work with them carefully when you've got to correct a little thing. But there has to be feedback. There's got to be input, communication, back and forth. When there is a disconnect between the leader's vision and the receptivity of the staff, the problem isn't the vision, it's the culture. 
It's the culture. Because a positive culture will act as an accelerant to your yeah. vision. Yeah. Positive culture will act as an accelerant to your, to your vision. So a healthy culture begins at the top with the leadership. You know, Maxwell, uh, John Maxwell uses the statement all the time, everything rises and falls on leadership. So it's always the leadership we've got to work with with this. As a healthy culture begins at the top, but eventually it releases the creativity and energy to everyone in the organization. All right. Now, I'm going to quickly give the five types of cultures. I forget whether I wrote it on your thing there on your lesson notes or not, but here's the five types, the basic five types of culture. Start with the best, and we'll go to the worst. The first one is called inspiring. Inspiring. The second is called accepting. The third, stagnant. The fourth, discouraging. And the fifth, toxic. Okay. Now, there are a lot of little, you know, uh, characteristics of each of these. I'm not going to go through all those for the sake of time, but I do want to talk about the characteristics of an inspiring culture because this is what we're aspiring to, an inspiring culture. Now, I have been an inspiring culture. I'm in one now, thank God, at FAC Maryville. And I've also been in a stagnant culture. I'm sorry, not stagnant, but a, a toxic, toxic culture, the very, very worst you could be in. And I'll explain that to you, what happened in that church. But um, now, just like when you're doing a, the personality test and you, you have one personality characteristic that you have most of the points in, but you see yourself in other areas also, so it is when you're looking at church cultures. You're going to look at some of the things that I say and say, well, we've got that. And then that's a positive one. But you might also see one that you say, wow, i got to really work on that. And that's the idea of this, is to look at some things that are hurting us and some things that are good that we need to continue to develop. Yeah. Okay. So here's characteristics of an inspiring culture. Leaders give clear direction. Very important for a leader to be very positive and clear, not we're going, we're going to try this for three months and seeming very wishy-washy, you know, you know, just, okay, well, that didn't work. We're going to try this now. Leaders give clear direction. And here, here it is again. Leaders cultivate an atmosphere of trust and respect cannot let there be disrespect and talking behind leaders back yeah, and yeah, yeah. things like that said that tear up a leadership group. That kind of stuff needs to be weeded out, trained out, whatever we can do, encouraged out, prayed out, that, that will tear up your growth and, and your, your trust. People throughout, these to me are some simple common sense characteristics, to be honest with you. People throughout the organization believe what they do really matters. It's not just the key leaders and people, but what people do when they volunteer for little things from anything from cleaning to usher to uh, greeters to Sunday school teachers to bus drivers or whatever, setting up for food, whatever, whatever, whatever is being done. It's all important because they're trained to understand and know that what they do is a part of developing a disciple, part of winning people. 
Because see, any little thing along the road that goes wrong could set somebody off in a negative way as they're going through the discipling process. So unless a church is a soul-winning or disciple-making church, things can go wrong with different areas that cause people to leave. And sometimes we never find out why they left. You never really find out the true, real reason why they left, because a lot of times it's a petty little reason that they let get under their, under their craw, right? And they don't, want to, they don't want to say exactly what it is, so usually they'll say they're not getting fed there. <laughs> Characteristics of inspiring cultures. They have a high but realistic expectation. High but realistic expectation. And I'll later talk about that realistic expectation. I'll focus on that for a minute. But creativity is rewarded and failures viewed as stepping stones. There are few, if any, turf battles. Everybody here knows what a turf battle is, especially if you're in music. Top leaders retrain or replace ministry leaders who can't provide a positive environment for their teams. That is a real touchy one in churches. I understand that. I get that. Uh, top leaders retrain or replace ministry leaders who can't provide a positive environment for their teams. Now, obviously that would be after you work with them, you try to encourage them, you go over the system with them, you talk about the culture to them, lovingly point out why they're not blending in with the culture, and if it finally comes to a point where everybody knows that person should not be leading that team or that group, and we're just still holding on to them, you're gonna kill your culture, I'll tell you that. Yeah. You're, gonna, you're gonna kill your culture. Because see then, and that makes everybody believe, well, they don't really mean what they say then. Because, see, we're talking about striving for excellence. And there's an obvious situation going on that they don't do anything about. So, therefore, I conclude all this really doesn't matter. That's right. This is just, you know, logic. Okay. The organization invests in systematically creating and building a healthy culture. Leaders regularly celebrate successes. Somebody finishes a home Bible study, certificate. Finish discipleship course, certificate. I'm going back tomorrow. I've got 28 disciples in my discipleship class. We do a big thing for them right on Sunday morning service, bring them to the platform. Everybody shakes their hand, pastor. They see everybody. They get a certificate. It's a, it's a, it's a big thing. We reward. We reward successes. Reward successes. Every little success. You hit goals on teams. It's, it's party time. And these organizations, when you have a, an inspiring culture, these organizations are a magnet for great leaders. Because see, anybody with a good mind, anybody with a good mind, and that's got, that are really motivated, believe me, they can tell when they walk into a church whether this is a place they can grow and be a part of or whether it's going to be a drag on their spirit where they just, they're going to sit and vegetate. Absolutely. They can tell. Now, you know, I, 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 I hate to keep talking about FAC. All of you or most of you know FAC's story and, and, and uh, you know, what, what FAC is about. And I will tell you, when 
we, we have people, because of our, our live, uh, live, uh, live cast and all that, we have had people moving, I mean, just recently, two ministerial families moving from Oregon. Just, you know, the, the opportunities we have for great leadership in every one of our roles. Uh, you would be hard-pressed to find people that are better with sound and computers and so forth than Darren Cooper and um, uh, uh, Dale, Dale McBroom, for example, that head up our media, media team and so forth. I mean, these are top-notch people. Darren is all over the country putting together media presentations for the UPC conference for, uh, because of the times and, you know, just the top people in their field that you could possibly imagine we have plugged in to, the, to, the, to these diff different areas. Well, they're there because of the culture. They're there because it's a culture of growth. It's a culture that de de demands excellence, and I use that word demand. Because if you don't fit in with the culture there, you know, Joel, uh, Joel has been at that church long enough to know what I'm talking about. If you don't fit in with the culture there, you won't last in that position long. You just, you just won't. Now, there was a time where, just like many churches, they had to work with people, work with people, you know, on the organ or the piano because, because they didn't have all the backups, right? But see, when, you, when you, get, you can get to a place in your church that when you begin to fill those positions with good people, you can be, sometimes we're you know, afraid to demand too much of people. And see, what people really want is they want to be challenged. They, they, they have expectations. They, they want to grow. They want to be stretched a little bit. And so um, you, can, you, can require, you can require more of them, is what I'm saying. So it goes right down the line where you, you see all the points here of, a, of, an, of an aspiring culture. Characteristic of, of accepting culture, Obviously, some of those things began to, 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 to break down. Characteristic of a stagnant culture. Uh, the leadership views staff members as production units, not people. You know, it's all about getting a job done, not caring about the people, basically. The only heroes are the top people. It's the only ones you ever hear about. Now, let me, let me step back for a second. And I'll be very, very honest with you and transparent. You know, I'm, what, with what I just said, the great things about FAC, do not think that I mean that FAC does not have some areas that they need improvement. They, they definitely do, right? They, they don't have every one of these areas down, down, down path. You know, they have some areas that they can improve also. Every, everybody does. It's always a constant improving, improving situation. And so nobody, you know, nobody has it all down path that I know of, that I've been to. Characteristic stagnant churches, again, only heroes are the top leaders. And see, when you, when you get to that place where your church is stagnant, you're not growing, it's just stagnant, then usually what you're going to attract is people with low expectations and low motivation. You know, there's, there's, some, there's some principles in life that we all know, but sometimes we just overlook. For example, you know, if, you, if you've got a church that you're stagnant and you've got a certain, a certain culture, see, there's the old principle of likes attract, Right? Water seeks its own level. Birds of a feather flock together. You're basically going to draw what you are. Whatever type of leader you are, that's the type of person you're going to draw. Right. Likes attract. Right. So now we go down to discouraging culture. Um, just again, things begin to start turning very, very negative. In, top leaders continually become more authoritative and more threatening. Maybe some of you have not been in those kind of churches, but they're out there. In my earlier years in the church, I 
was aware of churches like that. I wasn't in one, but I am aware of them. And they're around. When these leaders in these kind of churches communicate a vision, nobody cares. Because they know it's just all, all smoke blowing. They, they just don't care. And so these, when you're in discouraging culture, obviously you're going to attract malcontents from other churches and desperate people who can't get along anywhere else. And then finally, a toxic culture. And I was in a toxic culture, so I can talk about it. Leaders create a closed system. That was Blackberry. It's called a closed system. So any ideas or advice from outside the group are suspect and usually rejected. Fear becomes the dominant motivating factor. Leaders delegate responsibility but fail to give authority to people to fulfill those roles. So when we give people something to do, it's one thing giving something, somebody a job, it's another thing giving somebody a responsibility. When we give them a responsibility, we're also empowering them to use their good sense to figure the best way to get it done, right? That's called trust and respect. That's where it comes in, trusting and respect. Not to say that there cannot be any guidance and so forth, I'm not saying that. But here's one of the big factors of a toxic culture. Ethical, financial, sexual lapses may occur, but staff members are expected to turn a blind eye. When I was in a small UPC church when I first moved to Tennessee, I had, uh, I had known the pastor for a while because I used to visit up in that area. I had some friends up in the area of the Knoxville area. And so that's where they went to church. We would go to church with them. Small church, 13 years they had been there. They only ran about 30, 35. So when we moved, since I knew the pastor and it was the only UPC church around, I went to, I went to that church, Deb and I, for a couple, a couple of years. And we did our very best. Uh, you know, un unfortunately, he, he was the type that was very wary of me, right, because I was going to take over. And all, believe me, believe me when I tell you, I have now, nor never have I had, nor will I in the future ever have a call to pastor of a church. I, just, I do not want to do it. I will never do it. It is not my calling. I am a teacher. I'm happy with what I do. want nothing to do with taking over anybody's church, okay? I'll make that crystal clear. But he felt like maybe I would. So um, anyway, what ended up happening is um, one, one Wednesday night, he got up and, and he read a letter. And uh, in, in the letter, it sounded like some real key couple in the church was leaving. They were resigning. But it turned out when he got to the bottom of the letter, the key couple leaving was him and his wife because they had fallen into moral failure and were getting a divorce and he was turning in his license. Toxic culture. See, this is why, with all that going on in the background, why things were the way, that, the way they were. Why you're not going to grow above 30 people, right? Because the, the, the culture, you could tell it. You know, we did our best to do what we could do. We started a few things going. But uh, some things are just, you know, anyway. So we go from there to FAC, if you can imagine that, the difference of the wow. culture shock there. You know, we go from there to FAC, right? Wow. Of course, I didn't get into ALJC because I was warned by my UPC pastor to stay away from ALJC, yeah. you know. <laughs> so that's why we didn't go to ALJC when we, first, when we first moved up here, you know, which was a major mistake. But anyway, so toxic culture, toxic culture. So these organizations run off good people, and they do, and attract only the naive or the very desperate and vulnerable those type of cultures. All right, 
So, again, the most powerful features of a healthy culture are trust and respect. You sense you are in a safe place. Stephen Covey, another very good business writer, said this about trust. Contrary to what most people believe, trust is not some soft, elusive quality that you either have or don't. Rather, trust is a pragmatic, tangible, actionable asset that you can create. You can create trust. All right, and I'm going to skim through some of this stuff. more minutes left. Um, I'm going to skip through a lot of this. Healthy teams are pipelines of leadership development. Healthy teams are pipelines of leadership development. And that's what we really need to be all about is developing leaders. If we're not developing leaders, we're not going to be developing people to become AAC pastors, to go out and to be able to start a church or start a daughter work or, or uh, that, that kind of thing, or to be a very good leader even in your in your own church if we're not developing leaders. I've mentioned it is the essential role of the fivefold ministry. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, read it, right? So mutual trust among team members is the glue that makes everything works as it should. Good communication up and down the chain of command is essential for a positive culture, that good communication. Responsive teams don't just focus on big goals. They also take care of the little things, such as promptly returning phone calls, emails, texts, etc., which is something that gets under my skin when yeah. somebody tells me they didn't get my text. You know, I want to say, let me see your phone now. <laughs> but that's respect. That's trust. You know, when you get, you get an email, you're trying to work with the team. You're trying to find an answer to something because you're trying to line up some people for their role, that service or something, and they're not getting a communication back. So these are things that are taught as far as a healthy culture, respecting each other. That's a part of it. Good cultures are maintained when team members execute on decisions made. And I'm going to talk about this. When team members don't see the fruit of their meetings and discussions, they lose faith in each other and become discouraged. Here's what ends up happening in my experience, okay? I don't know what goes on in your churches, but in my experience, for many, many years, I'm not saying now at FAC, but I'm saying through churches that I've been in. We're, I'm in leadership, I'm heading a department or whatever, right? And we have our annual planning session. And of course, everybody that comes to the annual, annual planning session, all the leaders and department heads, they've got that calendar all worked out. Here's what we're gonna do. Here's how we're going to grow to 5,000 this year, Pastor. You know, exaggerating, but here's, here's what we're going to do in my department. And so they lay out, everybody comes, you know, around in order, and they lay out their plans, and they get all this stuff calendared, and, and you leave there, you leave the meeting, you know, great fellowship, good time. You might have done it out of town, all that kind of stuff. Wonderful. Year goes on six months down the road, and you begin to realize that very few of the things that were discussed in, the, in that meeting are coming, coming to pass, right? And see, that's, that, that is that done repeatedly. Think about what that does and the kind of culture that becomes to where all these things are planned and not followed through, okay, the follow through. And it's not a matter of just saying, 
here's what my team is going to do. See, part of a plan, when you hear that, part of the plan, part of, part of the conversation needs to be, here's the game plan, and here is who I'm delegating to do it. If we come out of a, if we come out of a meeting, we just say we got a plan, and we haven't even thought of who is going to do it or how it's going to get done. There's nobody delegated to it. You know, it's just a dream at this time. Here's what I want to do. But we haven't, we haven't really delegated and laid out the goals for it and make sure that we're holding the people accountable that are to get the job done. Accountability. Then, then a lot of things will not get done. And we can talk all we want. It all sounds great, but unless we have a game plan and it's delegated, it's not going to happen, folks. And that's what goes, goes on so many times. And so sometimes we wonder why when you go through this repeatedly and the pastor gets up with his beginning of the year vision for 2024, you know, and you see 300 glazed over eyes that like we've heard this before. Okay, you know, it all sounds good. You gave the vision uh, and, and, and there's, there has been no game plan or any delegation done at all. It's not all, before we, before we cast a vision like that, all that other should be in place. You cast, you should be able to do it with confidence because you know the game plan is set, the delegation is done. We know who's gonna, the accountability points and you can say it with confidence because this is the plan. This is the plan, not we have this vision and stay with me, I'm gonna make a plan, you'll see, you know. There's, 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 a, there's a difference. People don't do what we expect, they do what we inspect. A relentless pursuit of excellence in execution is a catalyst, not a hindrance for healthy team relationships. Yeah. And I'm gonna say this, sometimes we look at this as it's some daunting thing that I'm talking about and I've gotta kinda of close this down because I've got more information than I have time right now, but I think you're getting the point. But Sometimes we look at this as being very, very daunting. Oh, you know, yeah, I can see what you're saying, and I see my, my weak points, and yes, I want to do that, and I want to be better at that, and these are things that are all doable. Let me just give you two, two pieces of advice. It starts, you don't start with a congregation. Cultural changes come about with your core group, your leadership team. You're working with your leadership team. The leadership team, the leader, the leaders do not buy into it, the people won't. It comes down from the leaders and they see, they, they see the spirit. It, it, it changes the atmosphere, how they're communicated to and so forth. It, it filters down to the people because it's then being, if, they, if a leader buys into it and he's got 10 members on his team or five members or three, whatever it is, or in his department, he's then teaching them that. He's communicating that. It's coming through him. But now I'm gonna, I'm gonna distill it down even more. It just takes one person to change a culture and man when I first wrote this I didn't have an example but now I have an example for those of you who follow sports I'll give you I'll throw a name out there Dion Sanders mm -hmm. and what he did to Colorado in a few weeks with the way he communicates with his positive attitude with his belief with his faith he has turned not just Colorado around but college football yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Brought college football to a new level now of, of, of perception. One person 
can turn a culture around. But you gotta believe it, you gotta buy into it, and you, you, need, to, you need to talk positive cultural things. Few, few, few key things can change and help to develop a culture. And when people are motivated, and you get a positive momentum, things change rapidly. Yeah. That I know. All right. Okay, so I'm gonna end that. I, that's all I can get to right now. And um, I apologize that I don't have to finish it all. But are there, are there any, did you say that we got time for a question now? Oh yeah, we got time. Okay, what time is it? What time is it? Oh, okay, nice. Oh, I've, I've still got it. Let me back up. All right. Uh, let me see if there's anything key that I want to talk about here. Uh, let's see. Okay, we've got to remember that most, obviously you guys know this, most of our staff are volunteer workers. They're volunteer workers, right? And so we can't demand compliance where there is precious little heart motivation. And see, our key role as leaders, pastors, leaders, is heart motivation, you know? Right. Motivating people, motivating people. That, that is the key, getting people motivated. People may like what they hear, but they respect people who are honest with them. People that are honest with them. Honesty, loyalty earned is a beautiful thing, but loyalty demanded is toxic. We must remember that God calls his church to unity, not uniformity. There's a big difference. Unity is not uniformity. Senior leaders lead the culture, but it is sustained by the team members and filters down to the congregation. And I'll make this last statement. I'm going to open it for questions. All right. As a leader, our ability to connect with people, earn their trust, invite their opinions, and inspire them is the most important trait that we can bring. Even more important than our experience or skills. I'll say that again. As a leader, our ability to connect with people, earn their trust, invite their opinions, inspire them, are the most important traits we can bring, even more than just our personal experience or our personal skills. 